What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and all the places you need your music to be. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in-store 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor fastest payouts they help out with automatic splits cover song clearance and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases i dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians bands studio artists DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home, and they also offer label services as well. They've got three different tiers to offer creators that start as low as $22.99 a year. That's just $1.92 per month, and even their top tier breaks down to only $7.50 per month. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper for you. Check out the link in the episode notes. I also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it'll give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKids sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their longtime support of this thing. Let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so if you're not listening on apple just hit like follow subscribe wherever you are listening from tell a friend about the podcast leave a comment on a social media post check out the monthly playlist that i've been dropping every first of the month those are pretty spread out genre wise and they are available on apple and spotify links for those are in the episode notes hope everybody is doing well out there stoked to get in to episode 374 of the podcast we've got a return guest from right here in portland oregon al alves aka saroon incredible multi-instrumentalist songwriter composer and host of the honest jams podcast which you can find new episodes of on the weekly and the links for all things they all and Saroon related will be in the episode notes, including a link to the honest jams podcast and all's other podcast series called sketches with songs, which has amazing production on it and breaks down and analyzes an artist's track in such a cool way. 
highly recommend the Brown Calculus episode as well as the Isabo episode of that podcast series. But they all just put out a new Saroon record called Gilgol, which you can find in physical form on cassette via Bathsphere Records or on all digital platforms that you listen to music on. The album came out last month on July 28th, and I just think it's amazing and so impressed with the compositions and just blown away that I know the person that made this record. I've listened to it so much in the last couple weeks, and it's my favorite Saroon record. I really suggest carving out 35 minutes to listen to the whole thing front to back, whether you're on a drive or just have time to sit in headphones with this thing. It'll take you somewhere if you let it. Portland-based producer and engineer Ryan Oxford mixed the record. Shout out to him. We're supposed to link up later this week for a chat, so there should be a Ryan Oxford episode of the podcast coming soon really stoked for that but it was really nice to catch up with they all on the mics i always enjoy our conversations and we've had the opportunity to spend a fair share of time together this past year i guess since recording the podcast episode we did last november which is episode 332 if you want to learn more about all's musical background and more about the thought process behind the music and uh, just the Saroon lens, I would encourage you to go back and check that one out. And uh, with all that, we are going to get into episode 374. Like I said, all the links are in the episode notes. And you're going to hear music from the Gilgul Saroon record throughout the episode. And to send us into the conversation, which we recorded at the amazing Destination Universe recording studio in Portland, Oregon, we are going to play a track off that Gilgul album called The Ego Is Forgotten. Let's do the damn thing. Thank you. 
into error a couple times with this particular recorder of just like I had the headphone mix up for some reason for something else uh-huh. and then just like realized after we were recording like oh the headphones were like up really loud but the actual like oh yeah <laughs> we weren't getting very loud yes, I signal see. coming through the yeah. actual microphones yeah gain staging yeah <laughs> totally there's uh like the um in the control room in there yeah. you can actually like be hearing you know a, a completely different sound than what you get onto the computer if you're not like monitoring because there's like a patch bay that you have to like patch properly you know so (laughs) you can really fuck yourself up in there with just like yeah hearing the wrong thing and just like completely getting a different sound recorded than you actually which is kind of bizarre it's kind of annoying if you (laughs) do that Are you, like, diving more into that stuff with Victor? Is is he, like, teaching you some things? I know you said that you were... Here and there. You know, I've mostly been doing it on my own, but just exploring um, some of the stuff on the new album I recorded on this piano. Um, Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, been been trying to get in there. It's, you know, the room is kind of, like, the thing that I love the most. Uh, the, The gear is also amazing to you like you know he has like analog gear that you can just like run everything through compressors that you can actually like touch and stuff like that um and they they probably sound um you know i i like the sound that i get out of that um but it's like i was saying earlier like the the sound of i don't know i think people are just too picky with that stuff like there's plenty of people that have made amazing pieces of music just using stuff inside of their computer you know yeah so it's not no one is not better than the other but it is fun to like have physical objects that you're kind of messing around with i've always preferred that and also just like the physicality oftentimes means that you're actually like committing it to the audio you know in the moment at least the way that i like to do it that's why i like tape is because you're just like choosing tones that kind of like work in that moment for the thing and then that is like the thing that you're you're committing to that, and then like mixing becomes like less of a hassle later on because you're not like fixing problems. Yeah, and you don't like you're not looking to make a bunch of like changes in the way that you already totally. did in the moment. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, and not leaving decisions to be made later yeah. is the main thing. You know, that's the thing that I really prefer in the studios to maintain because I've spent so much of the last few years like writing um quote-unquote demos you know that there's something really magical that happens in that you know like sometimes you actually you the thing you made initially had like so much magic in it in the spontaneous moment that you actually can't figure out how to recreate like a better version of it even though it's like a little bit lo-fi or something just like feels like fucked up in one moment but i think then when you take those demos and try to create them in the studio setting for me, the thing that uh, like makes that worthwhile is to have that magic still like present in the moment. Mm. So you're trying to still find the moments of like spontaneity, yeah. basically, to uh, inspiration. You're you're not just trying to like play the part exactly the way that you think it's supposed to be played. You're trying to like feel it in the moment as if it was like the first time you ever played it you know yeah you're not like recreating a feeling you're still trying to like feel it yeah and and maybe even make it better or whatever make it into the more realized version of itself or something yeah is that there is that like a constant kind of like battle to like i think figure that out or do you feel like you're getting better at creating what you did in a demo 
I'm definitely, um, I have a good process for that. One of the things that I really love about hiring somebody to record my music, it, it means that I'm, it's another constraint to the project. So it's like, and now I'm on a budget, which yeah. means I'm on a limited amount of time. So I um, have to, like the way that I've been like making the last few records before this one was like, I chart out every single aspect of the music that's supposed to happen. And if there's other players, then I'm like, you know, scheduling them, you know, because I record, you know, maybe I have like four days of tracking for 10 songs or something like that. So it's like, usually I'll, I'll go in there and I'll like lay the base layers of things like piano, guitar. One that I did a couple times ago was like um, guitar and drums were kind of the main things. And then I play a bunch of woodwinds, which is, I've been adding a lot of that stuff, but all that stuff. Yeah. is like charted out. I like practice it ahead of time. I've been doing them to tape with Ryan Oxford. Um, so it's, uh, those ones are, you know, you just got to get it right on when you're doing it to tape. Basically you gotta, you gotta be able to play the part like yeah. punching. in is just like so much more of a hassle, like to punch in the middle of a line. Like, you know, if you find space, it's easy to punch in, but yeah, as, doing as much as I can. And I think that helps with that kind of spontaneity. Cause it's like, you're like playing a part um, that needs to have like fluidity and like an arc to it, Yeah, you know? And so you're trying to like create that arc all in the music. It's weird when you're like overdubbing so much cause you have to make sure that the initial thing kind of like is supporting things that are going to happen in the future. But that also means that you get to like build on it. Like you build a demo where it's like, you're just, finding the way the next thing kind of like supports the thing that you already did and then hopefully getting a good result. But now that I'm doing so much like that, now that I'm actually like, you know, with this last album and stuff that I've started working on moving forward where I'm, because I, I really love the results of the last album where I recorded everything myself and then had somebody mix it. Yeah. I'd never had done that before. And I was the person that engineered it was mixing it at the same time we were engineering it. And then maybe we'd take like a couple of days to mix it together, but to have somebody that was completely removed from the process, mix it was really inspiring to me. And just, I think just really helped, um, add character. So that's kind of my current trip. But then that means when you're recording, uh, on your own, and you're recording to a computer, then you have an infinite amount of time, basically. Right. You know, <laughs> all those constraints completely go away as far as, and you can just fool yourself because you don't know when to stop. Yeah. You know, you can always keep refining, yeah. moving the EQ, just a tiny imperceptible amount. Yeah. And then thinking it's better, you know, cause you're whatever high or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you don't need anybody to facilitate your ideas at that point. So yep. you're just like, and you have no feedback. It's just yourself. Yeah. Your own neuroses. I would imagine too, like in a space like this, you have so much access to like instruments and the gear you're talking about totally just so yeah. much to like try a different microphone tinker with and yeah see if that right like but it's, it's mostly about just not being in your head you know or like just like he listening and is it does this feel complete you know it's like i think people sometimes get too focused on like is it i don't know technical technically correct or something like that and i think the thing that matters to me is whether or not it feels like 
the idea is properly communicated, you know? Yeah. So I feel like just you strip away all the expectations of the, the demo and just attempt to make the idea clear, I think. What is the enunciation of the the new record? Gilgul. Gilgul. Yeah. Okay. It's a, a, a Hebrew word um, that uh, it's like the Kabbalistic, um, you know, the Kabbalah. It's like the Jewish book of mysticism, uh, and uh, it's uh, the the idea of reincarnation. Okay. So, which is what the whole record is about, basically. I usually really think questions about titles and things yeah. are like pretty hacky uh-huh. you know like well it's i mean I, I'm a, rec- the concept record is kind of about this shit yeah 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 for sure where like it it makes more sense i feel like to ask you about some of these things but yeah. first off i just want to let you know that i think this record is like oh, incredible thanks. Thanks, and i've listened to it probably like five times front to back now and it's just uh it's definitely like my favorite thing that you have put out into the world. Thanks. And it also just, I yeah, it's just like one of my favorite things for sure to like come out of the city this year. Hell yeah. And just in general, I've just, uh, I feel like I'm just having a different uh, interaction with the listening experience from, mm. with it, like from the get go. And I think part of it is like it's instrumental nature, yeah. Yeah. you know, like I think that is, and I've kind of like talked about this probably like ad nauseum for anybody that like listens regularly, but I don't think it was up until like the, maybe like the last 10 years or so where I really like fell in love with instrumental music Yeah, and understandable greatly because of that. There is no vocal narrative, uh-huh. you know, there's nothing telling me like what I should be feeling it's like this completely free thing yep it's like whatever the music evokes you know and it's uh it's so cool in that way and i think it's also just like a big part of it is when you listen back to like a record like this every time there's like something new that i'm picking up on too because there is no like vocal you're listening to to the texture right 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 like i feel like i'm just watching a movie when i'm listening Mm. to this record nice like it it gives me like so many visuals and just like the way that it's set up so cool um, that's kind of just very like very blown away by it (laughs) thanks bud yeah i'm excited to get to like dive into it yeah with you and also it's uh it was like a year ago or close to that we did that last one yeah but I'm also just excited to check. So I feel like we've like become friends totally. since then. Yeah. Like last time we were, we were like, had like met a few times. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah, like we're, we're homies and we like totally. get to like chat a lot about things. So, yeah. um, excited for that part of it as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just talk to me. Like, what was the approach with making this record or like, how was it different than making things that you've made in the past? Okay. The it, well, one way that it was different is that I knew, like those the demos, I actually 
like had it in mind that those were the final things like that was the way the song was going to be you know they didn't quite end up being exactly like that but i had had this uh, series of events where my uh, keyboard the touch screen on a keyboard that i had that i was was my like primary keyboard died and it, the, it made the keyboard completely not functional anymore. Like the buttons on it could not access the um, same menus anymore, um, which is I, I learned after Googling for a while is a huge like accessibility issue for blind people. They need with everything being touchscreen keyboards yeah. now. There, there's the whole uh, you know uh, small group of people that are specifically looking for keyboards that blind people can use. But anyway, it uh, kind of th- then I was on the hunt for like what my next. Uh, keyboard was going to be and i was playing in a band that needed like that was that had made a record with like a real piano so i kind of was then seeking like piano sounds that um were felt real like acoustic piano and uh i ended up going the kind of like midi instrument route so i play everything through ableton um, which is also what i record on and so I have this um, a suite of software instruments that are all like sampled pianos that are like very nicely um, sampled. And I was so satisfied with th- those sounds that I was like, okay, I can make this like the final version of these. Like I, I'm happy with these recordings in the way that they're sounding and I can get real perfectionistic with it because everything is midi mapped so if i have like one note that is like slightly too loud in like an arpeggio arpeggio of like 20 notes you know i can just pull down the velocity a little bit and then um, that whole it's just so easy to kind of like shift the performance a little bit or like move timing of something just a second um so it felt like i could yeah create these kind of final versions of which was really satisfying and um the idea came from like a few years before that, I created the the uh, this piece that's on the um, record that's called um, "Traffic Operators on the Transmigration Highway." It's the yeah. only thing in there that has like um, spoken yeah. word um, in it, and it's basically about these like benevolent beings that are like ushering the souls or whatever through the like you know afterlife. Um, and it was just this spontaneous song that came out of a 20 song game. So this was, is the first, so this is like the first piece of this. Yeah. Um, it just, and it came out randomly, you know, it's like, the, the, do you know about those 20 song games? Yeah. So it's like, you're just like getting together with a group of people or whatever. Everybody in the group writes ostensibly 20 songs, usually less. Um, but you just try to create all day long. And uh, yeah, I really, I really loved the piece it just like was weird and quirky or something like it it's just odd you know like i created it by i just made like a synth bed of you know just a bunch of synthy sounds that were kind of like ambient sounds and then i think i just started like randomly talking over it and that's what came out do you remember what, like what you were i don't know either like going through or even like trying to express when you were just like saying no. just passing through well i think it was that idea of just like the you know they're these kind of like beings that are like ushering you know the the souls through yeah um but but how it uh, those um 20 song games are so delirious you know you're just like making some trying to be done with something like doing enough Mm. to have a song be done and then moving on to the next one you know so 
yeah, there wasn't really any thinking around that stuff. And then at some point, you know, in the, at the end of, I think last year, I was like, I've been thinking for a while that I have like an instrumental keyboard album in me. You know, I played a lot of classical music as a kid and, um, it just felt, feels, you know, I, I sit down and like improvise on the piano all the time. And, um, I just wanted to make something that was like intentional in that way. And then I have this podcast that where I do, we have, I have a weekly prompt to write a song. Um, and I just started, Oh, actually this is the reason that I, I started with that, um, is because we did one that was with, um, Jem from the ghosties and, uh, she had released a record and, uh, we used one of the songs of her record, um, as a prompt and the song name was BRB dying, be right back dying. And so then I was like, Oh, BRB dying. That's like reincarnation basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so then it reminded me That's amazing. of this thing that I had made. And so I was like, then I was like, okay, maybe I'll like tack something. Mm. So I can, I made a song then that was connected to that song. And then I was like, Oh, maybe I'll just make a record. Was the mall of the Bardo a part of that original no. composition? No. That's something you added Later. on. Okay. Yeah. That was, um, can't remember exactly what the prompts you know now that it's been a while since i've yeah. done all those prompts i can't remember what the prompt was for that one but yeah that one that one got a little experimental it kind of like it you know i think that's why i started thinking of it as this like mall kind of area because it's like it's got all these like little sections and then i found this like sample of like a elevator from like japan yeah, it's yeah. Like some weird there's if you look at um elevator chimes on youtube you will fall down a rabbit hole of all these <laughs> there's there's like elevator chime nerds out there that are like here's the chime of the Toshiba 1967 in you know Singapore or whatever <laughs> those are like the cool things about like the listening experience though uh-huh. I feel like it's just those those little things like traveling yeah so did you know that that would tack on well with the the traffic operators on the transmigration highway like I can't I, I think I did um, basically every song I knew its placement because I because I was then then I started developing a story Yeah. because I was like you know at, at first I was like you know I was just yeah attaching because the you know the um, my idea was that there's these you know when when a person dies there's like a maybe a bit of the ego that still like goes into like the afterlife or something and. Uh, then that ego actually experiences like versions of like heaven or something like bardo states you know like liminal states or something um and then they encounter these um benevolent beings that kind of like usher them through until eventually like the ego actually is removed and then it's like nothingness you know or, or everythingness all at once you know or something like that and then you know the then it's like the uh I think there's then the, the next one's like the rumblings of an anonymous civilization. So it's like there's you know this is the most pretentious conversation ever, but it's like there's a you know a, you know an idea of some kind of like you know society or something like that, and then there's like the person that then appears in that society, yeah. and then the cycle kind of repeats. You know, I'm not like 
ideological or anything like I don't these aren't like belief systems that I have or anything yeah. like that but most of the things that I make are about um, transformation I would say and this is just death is kind of like the ultimate transformation right. and it's a thing we ex- all experience in our lives multiple times over and over again you know yeah I just thought that was like such a powerful part of the record as far as the the traffic operators Mm. track just because, you know, it's what, like halfway through this record and you finally get some some vocal in there some voice yeah, yeah. Ra- like rather and it's, it's a little surprising and, right yeah and so you you're not expecting it and then it's just like another part of like the experience that like makes it feel like so immersive yeah because you're so like caught up in this world and then all of a sudden this voice Weird thing. where you're just and, it, and it's not like necessarily like clear what it's trying to communicate totally you know <laughs> yeah it's uh, i would credit so- some of that on the record itself because actually some of the demos um, like if you listen to the um, Honest Jams versions of them, like they um, do have, uh, there's some that have vocals on them. There's one where I'm actually like singing along with the melody of one of the instruments. There's another one like near the end, the one that has kind of like the backyard noises and stuff um, that uh, has like a whole spoken word kind of piece. I put it out with uh, this cassette label called Bathysphere and they're an ambient uh, tape label that's been putting out a uh, cassette a month for the last year but their thing is kind of like no like vocal vocals you know like no like singing yeah um and like ambient music um or like new age music you know like so we so we just talked about it and as we were talking about it i was like i actually think that removing these vocals will make this more powerful like will kind of like make the story uh, kind of more in line with what I was the story that I was actually trying to tell yeah um and yeah I'm really happy with that decision I, and it also actually has allowed me to like the the spoken word thing like when I perform that piece live like I actually am doing the, the spoken word part of it um which is fun to kind of like be able to incorporate like other things into the live setting because you know listening to bird chirps isn't necessarily what everybody wants to be doing for six minutes or whatever (laughs) like in the live setting you know yeah it feels like there's some some more room for like exploration there yeah to you know just do whatever you want for for the spoken word in that moment totally and yeah just create the arc in the live setting however i want it like because it's not i'm not necessarily like obsessed with like telling this story exactly this way or something like that like the live setting can just be me doing an arc but not necessarily it's still an arc of transformation but it's not necessarily like the exact same story As far as the uh, 
I don't know, the idea of like this being instrumental and you said you had like some previous vocals. So there was obviously mm-hmm. like some lyrics on some of these tracks, but do you feel like you were actually maybe able to potentially like express more through this instrumental album than you have been able to with a record that you've done in the past or a song that that has lyrics i i definitely i mean it's different it's not more you know a lot of my instrumental records have these moments that are similar to this album on a small scale you know they're kind of these instrumental sweeping arcs that move the song from one song to the next song and compositionally i'm pretty much you know thinking in the same way which is to say that i'm not thinking like i'm just trying to go by feel like i get an idea in my head and uh then i just like let the instinct create the idea i mean i don't even know there's no way else to really do it you you know like i was just um i've been obsessively talking with people about this uh cormac mccarthy um you know that guy uh yeah there will be blood and the road and uh but he has this uh short essay that he wrote about um like i guess he spent a lot of time when he wasn't writing at this like psychiatric institute like talking with the scientists like not as a you know patient or whatever uh so he's just really interested in like the brain how the mind works and um so he, he has it's, i think it's the only non-fiction essay he's written if i recall correctly um and uh he's talking in it about like how ideas come into your head, you know, like what is it? It's not like when you're trying to like figure something out, you're like sitting there like thinking logical thoughts of like, okay, if there's this, then this happens. And then if there's this, then there's this happens. It's like you have these like subconscious, like um, packets of ideas, you know, that are kind of like processing in your brain and then your brain like turns it into language or something like it comes out. The answer is like language, but it's not the thing that's happening that in the thinking is not linguistic, you know? Right. And I would say that that's very much how my experience of like creating a song works, even if there are words involved where it's like, I'm not logicking my way into the, the answer, you know, I'm just kind of like, here's the kind of general, like with this, I have a story that I'm telling. So each, each one, I was like, where does this like lie in the process of, you know, I already had the concept of like from, this is reincarnation from death to conception is the story that I'm telling. And then I'm like, okay, which, like what songs have I done? Where in the process do I need to like fill in the blanks to Mm, make the story complete basically? So each, each one I was like, I think I basically just built them kind of like out from the one basically like, you know, just, or maybe there was one that I was like, this one is definitely the end or whatever. I know there's one that was, this one was the beginning. Yeah. Um, that's beacon. The beacon. Yeah. It starts. Thinking, yeah. That's, what, what spoke to you about that one? Like just, uh, I don't know, setting the tone and like speaking to like the beginning of this process. Basically my idea for that was that there was like, Basically, there's like this, the moment that it happens, you know, which I imagine is just like, yeah, this, you know, whatever detaches from the body, the ego detaches. Um, and there's a moment of like wonkiness or whatever, confusion or something. Um, and then there's 
the tunnel of light you know we've heard the, the, the tunnel of light and so that's kind of i was like trying to kind of like do that kind of like the the kind of like getting sucked into the yeah. tunnel of light is what i was going for with by that. the end of the track you're, you're <laughs> deep into the portal you are being sucked into this thing nice absolutely it actually starts off uh, this is a, a nerdy musical quote but there's a um a uh uh, Claude Debussy piece called the Saraband from his uh, is a piece called Pour le Piano, which is a three-piece uh, thing of uh, three three songs that I was really into when I was a kid. And the Saraband is like a it's a it's about it's like I think it's like a funeral song about death basically is what that it's like a I think that's what it is at least that's what it is in what I remember it being from like my 16 year old brain that played that song but I just love I love Debussy and I love that like French impressionistic there's some a lot of that kind of like tonality like whole tone scales and stuff like that that make its way into this kind of stuff or sati um kind of these um like minory diminished kind of sounds um that think really influenced a lot of my playing in this one but that one it was actually a intentional little musical quote right there at the very beginning of that Was there a lot of like experimentation that happened during the recording process? I mean, I mean, I had a limited amount of time, you know, so it was like I was writing a song a week for my podcast. So it's, uh, I just have to like make it happen and know that also that I can, even though I was going for like final versions that are going to appear on the record, I can just 
toss this one if I if it doesn't work, you know, ultimately. But one thing that I was really focused on was not creating too many instruments. Like initially I was like kind of maybe wanting to play it all on my own, like with, you know, an Ableton rig or something like that. I think if I was really to perform to like the way I wrote it, I would probably prefer to have like another live keyboardist with me um, now. But I was, I was trying to make parts that were composed intentionally and like stood alone and didn't really need much so that I wouldn't need to add a whole lot more yeah. onto those things. And and sometimes I would, I would compose them very like piece by piece. Like here's the left hand of the piano. Here's the right hand of the piano. Um, here's the left hand of the toy piano, you know, right hand of the toy, toy piano or something. Yeah. What do, what do you think that does to like the, the recording or just what what is captured when you're actually doing left hand right hand mm. stuff separately well it's easier to play those parts intentionally okay but it's i mean because i was doing it all through midi i could then edit everything so even if i didn't play it the way that i wanted i could figure that out later yeah for me it it added like an intentionality to the parts and it also like sometimes there's a tendency for me you know, my left hand is definitely weaker and it's often playing these kind of like supporting roles. And sometimes it's easy to make it somewhat monotonous and not like expressive or something like that. So to be able to like focus on like, this is what I want this part to kind of like do and the intentionality of it. And also just like a little variation here and there or something like that, um, I think was really nice. And then it was also really nice in the mixing process later to have those parts separated because then it gave us like creativity to you know move them around they weren't attached to each other like if i was had played them all except for the ones some of them i did play together but the the ones that weren't then we could kind of like detach those parts and you know just give a little different feel to the recording the actual recording of it is it hataka is the hataka hataka yeah which is also like a another of those uh, terms for that uh, transmigration okay. process. Yeah, that was the one I was, I was thinking about. Like when I was thinking about just experimentation, just like what is the the instrument, the percussive yeah. instrument that's being? It's a, it's actually a muted piano. So it's like oh, wow. a piano with a um, a cloth over the strings in between. There's a couple songs that I did that. So there's a I had like a black cloth draped. Um, over the strings and then that creates this like you can also do it by just holding the uh, the string see like that okay so it creates this like muted yeah it almost like feels like a symbol is being like fucked with which like it just I don't know. Those were the the parts that I like found myself like very attached to, or just like yeah. on those second and third time listening. I was just like, "This is, this is so cool," and it's just like very simple, I guess. Totally. Like what like you were talking about, it's it's not like it's not like there's an overwhelming amount of instrumentation happening all at once. Yep. All the time, like it feels like there's so much space. Yeah, I thought of them as kind of um, a lot of the compositions to me feel like. Um, the kind of like etudes or like folk songs almost that I like, like, um, you know, Bartok, like that kind of, he was a ethnomusicologist. Um, and a, a lot of his uh, compositions were from 
like folk songs that he learned, but you know, they, they sound like what most people think of as like classical music or neoclassical music or whatever. I guess to me, that's what, you know, there's a lot of that kind of like the forms of like a folk song or something where it's, there's still kind of like this ABA thing happening or, you know, in, in just in the form yeah. or whatever. It's, they're not, you know, like you're saying, that complicated of things. And I, I just remember as a kid really like loving playing those kind of things you know it's just so satisfying to kind of have a or like Jan Tiersen you know that Jan Tiersen record that oh. uh, the um, the Amelie soundtrack okay. that became really popular like a lot of those songs are that way where it's just kind of like a simple idea and then maybe kind of like a variation that kind of like expands that you know it's the same idea same chords but it's just kind of like a little more movement or something and then back to the original yeah. idea again you know not like this incredibly progressive like far out thing totally like, finds its way back and yeah but you can still you know add like interesting harmony or whatever in there it's, it doesn't all have to be just like major chords and minor chords you can you can add some stuff that is a little bit outside of the key or something or gives it a, a different kind of vibe process of bringing this stuff to ryan like what was your guys's like creative dynamics and getting this thing like yeah finished like you had like recorded so much of this on your own i made it all my i recorded everything on my own and then just brought it to him to to mix with you yeah um and initially i told him um i wanted him to start mixing at least you know, we had, it was, it, we, I had a budget, so I had a limited amount of days. So I didn't yeah. want to be like, okay, you spend all your days mixing and then I'll give you feedback. Cause I felt like that wasn't, you know, that's not exactly the deal for them yeah. to actually have to incorporate. Although a lot of mixing engineers are also very generous with that, where they'll just kind of like give you a ton of um, mixes. But he was like, I'll, I'll just take like a day or a day and a half or something and um get everything like organized set up and he also like reamped a ton of stuff which i think really helped to bring it alive like and got me kind of obsessed with reamping things in general but there's something about you know i was using such like clean tones and they were software instruments so even though they were you know real samples that are um you know, have a lot of like variation to them. There's still something about it that it feels like it's not like a hundred percent alive or something, or it's like, once you hear the difference, it doesn't feel a hundred percent alive. You know, like I was definitely satisfied with what it was before we mixed it. But then once we mixed it, I was like even more, um, I think because of this kind of like reamping process and yeah, then it, it, it was just about kind of like, yeah giving life to the the right things you know finding the the melody basically like what is being supported and what is the things that are doing the supporting and then he's just really great at mixing so yeah. he, he sound <laughs> fucking great he's ryan oxford yeah um so yeah i mean we've worked together 
a bunch now on a bunch of different stuff. And um, I think we both have that kind of mentality of just like, get it done, commit to it. And like, there it is. Like, yeah. just, just follow the thread in the moment and make it happen. Don't do the thing where you're in your head about every decision. <laughs> yeah. Although that guy has to release his record. <laughs> <laughs> Calling him out. <laughs> so there wasn't like any like added instrumentation that happened nope. outside of yeah i knew like, i here. was done i'm pretty sure right it's got to yeah 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 i think everything was was completely done and did you already know like when it went to mixing you already knew like what the sequencing had to be for everything to make yeah. sense together yeah because i had written it as a narrative it's actually what i do Maybe to my detriment on some other albums, but if, on every album that I've made, I come in knowing because everything that I've, I think because I'm, you know, whatever, neurotically obsessed with transformation <laughs> and death or whatever, that like it's a, um, I, that's the arc that I'm generally going for is like this, you know, a story of some, even if it's, you know, not exactly a explicit story, like has, there's an arc that I'm always like shooting for and, I like doing that in the recording process because then it's like you try to make the things uh, make everything sense make sense in that yeah. context. Um, so yeah, and I, and I also knew I, had, I was on a deadline with the because they've been releasing these tapes so fast. You know, I didn't have much time to put it all together, so I had to. You know, I knew I had to get it to mastering by a certain okay. time. Okay, so you had like a, a date that you needed to yep. finish this by. Which... Yeah, just like I think we had maybe like a week after we recorded it or mixed it to be finalized with yeah. it. Um, so I, I mean, I, I love those constraints. Like sometimes you end up looking back on those things and, um, you know, realizing where your mistakes were. Um, but I'm not convinced that you're not going to have mistakes if you take forever to right. make something anyway. So I tend to err on the side of just like having a body of work out in the world as much as possible versus trying to make everything perfect. Constraints are good <laughs> for forcing creativity. Yeah. For sure. Um, so, and then, yeah, I had the support of the the label to put it out, which was yeah. great. First time that I didn't have to do a PR and shit for all that <laughs> stuff. So that was nice. You kind of knew though, then like what, sort of things needed to happen at the end in the beginning of tracks then to make it feel like this pretty seamless thing yeah i mean i had already composed everything that way like i had yeah written it so that it would work in that way you know so like i think i always yeah i maybe i said this earlier but i'm pretty sure i was was always attaching a song to stuff that are, had already happened. Okay. You know, so I think there was, yeah, there, there, I always knew kind of what something was emerging from. Were there some of those tracks, the ones that had vocals before on them, that when you did strip away the vocal, they didn't seem to make sense? And you yeah, were I, like, this is just mm, not a part of this record then? No, I, I then um, added to those tracks. So like the, um, the one... Uh, what is it called? It's called a sentence. It goes like, do 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 do. It's that really sparse kind of like with like bells and stuff like that. There was a melody line there that was like, um, oh yeah, you are sentenced to a lifetime of the things you believe, and so it, it was that idea that like when the ego kind of like initially experiences the afterlife, that you actually experience like the heavens. 
that you think you're supposed to experience, you know, like if you're a Christian or whatever, you experience yeah. the Christian heaven, but it's actually but like it's not this fake thing. heaven that is not yeah, the, the actual reality of things. It's just this like false world that you end up fin for who, whatever timeless amount of time. <laughs> or something. But, so was, I think that song was all about like, cause I, that one, I do remember the prompt was zombie. So it was about this, you know, exp- like encountering a person that was living in like a heaven like that, but it's just, you know, they're kind of, blissful in the zombified way or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's not the real thing. Um, but <laughs> it's I, what they think is the the real Yeah. Half. But I I think I did have to add kind of like another melody cuz that there's a lot of unison parts happening in that song, but I think I had to add kind of like another instrument on top that took over that um vocal line. The other one that I took the vocal away from it's it was actually recorded in the backyard. Um there's like it's a lot of like bird sounds and like yeah. kind of like rumbling synths and one of my favorite things about that one is there's a uh an airplane sound and i made the the synth that is in there like sounds like the airplane so it kind of yeah. like they take over for each other in different parts and you can't really tell which one's which but i think that one i did end up adding another synth on top of where i took out because it just kind of like felt a little meandery or something you need a little more direction um, it had it has clarinets on it um, that were already there from the vocal version, but yeah, I think I had one synth part. But I didn't, yeah, no, I didn't have to add much to kind of like tie it all together. But yeah, it came together pretty quick after I decided not to. Yeah, those field recordings too. Those were kind of just already yeah done. You like the that was like the on piece. something something than a whisper like yeah. those birds and everything in there was already stuff that you had that's one take in the backyard and then it, it transitions at the end into um that that day i knew i wanted to make this like ambient like spoken word piece yeah it was actually kind of slightly based i played you one time um this uh um person claire rusé yeah that um sometimes i think i have no friends that i remember made you a little yeah that, for that, that song look it up if yeah. you need an experience <laughs> you need to, today yeah, totally <laughs> go ahead <laughs> but i think i was maybe a little bit modeling my what i was doing around something similar to that where there was kind of like this like questioning kind of thing like existential questioning and stuff yeah. like that um that one's more about like interpersonal relationship whereas the thing that i was saying was more around like value and money and the way people kind of like uh like capitalism or capitalism and the way we commodify each other and stuff like that but yeah so i I was creating that spoken word piece and i just wanted textures like that in the back and so i that yeah it's literally just one continuous take of the backyard where the, the birds were just like going off that day um and you know there's like some neighbors like clang clanging on stuff and, yeah um and then it transitions that day i was like um just uh riding my bike right by uh, some park over on Harold and 72nd but uh there's a community center right there but there was some like uh like biker barbecue thing happening um and it's actually one of my favorite sounds on there at the very end i was just kind of like being the weirdo with headphones on like pointing my field recorder at like the kids playing in the playground <laughs> which is a yeah. odd, odd thing to be doing <laughs> but it's like you're not you know you can tell it's not like video i don't know um but you can hear like a bike because it's like i'm using a stereo field recorder 
you can hear the bike like go around the entire block which is i just love that kind of stuff where it just you know you get movement and that's what i love about ambient music is where it kind of like takes you for a ride in, in that yeah. way and it's like you didn't do anything to make that happen it's just kind of oh, like man. the sounds do it that's such a good way to like put it into words is that you know you it just yeah it just kind of like sweeps you up in the yeah in the experience like and, and i think like those field recordings attribute to that immersive experience as well yeah know? well it's like also that like, that's the musicality of like life that sometimes we miss out on when we don't pay attention you know it's like that's the whole john cage silence thing you know it's like it's kind of just always happening all the time and it's kind of almost a matter of switching your perception more than it is you know now i'm listening to music so it's like affecting me in this way or yeah something like that and just like this idea of recording something that seems like maybe pretty insignificant at the time and then if you put that to other you know instrumentation it completely like changes it yeah like spoken word is like a great example of that you know you put that to music and it all of a sudden has a completely different feel to it or the music can completely change the the tone or like the context for what's being said yep yep totally yeah make people feel shit yeah did you finish this record before like right before i released it so i released it the end of march and um ryan and i is that right or was it april um i can't remember but whatever it was we finished mixing it basically a month before it was released um and then it was mastered the next week um and yeah then bathosphere just set everything up for distribution yeah wasn't a situation then where you had to like sit on this music that you had finished totally for a super long time which is the most enticing thing to me i mean it's it's the best thing about being an independent artist i would say is that you have full control over your release schedule like 
I don't know. I I know there's a certain way that the, the industry works, and you know it, it probably is advantageous for yeah. like labels to like be taking their time on certain timelines mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But like maybe we should just get over our obsession with like covering new music all the time, or, or like the brand new music. Like you can still talk about music that's four months old if you want. You know, like it's on the internet forever. So yeah. it's like it, I don't. It, it, it's so strange to me that people tie right. themselves to this paradigm that just feels like it's not how it has to be for most people. You yeah. Know? That album cycles even exist in the totally. digital ages is very weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I assume there's, you know, things that are, especially for like, if you're trying to get into like larger publications, you know, that you, you obviously have to be like way ahead of that in order to, and, the, and then you want the like, most amount of traffic to go to right. your your album like as soon as it comes out i guess i'm just not committed to that and i'm okay with like the slow build or whatever yeah so I'm, a, I'm a late bloomer in life in general so <laughs> <laughs> i'm like trying to not be tied to those things just well, I get like it. simply like the new, new release shit yeah or even the monthly playlist that i've been making mm-hmm. just like sometimes i find something for the first time that came out in 2021 totally i'm just like this should still, why, why not include, like, I don't need to include something that just came out. You yeah. know, it can be it's new to you. something older. It is new to me. You yeah. know, like, it's just like, I just heard this song for the first time that came out in 1982 and I really like it. Yeah. And I'm not sure a lot of people did. Do <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and put it on anyways. <laughs> like, I, what's the difference? Totally. I mean, yeah, I, I, I yeah, there's very many things about that whole side of things <laughs> and just the yeah the, like you're saying the satisfaction of being able to be much more closely aligned with the art that you just made you yeah know? like waiting you know if you if you record an album and then you wait like whatever say say you wait a year which is not that's that's like short for a lot if you're like on a label to put it out after you're done mixing it right or mastering it oftentimes that means that you spent what like a year writing those songs already then you're you have a whole year where you're probably like playing those songs mm-hmm. so that's like a couple years that you've kind of like played those songs you know that for the, the moment you wrote them you're like way detached from and then when you release the album then you're supposed to then go on the album cycle right. of like playing those songs in public even more now as supposedly their you know album versions of these songs or whatever and you're probably like over that version or it's like you probably play things differently like you're probably just not you don't have the same relationship to those songs as you had when you were that close to making them and i don't know i i think i just really value that as a part of my art as just like i think i'll always have some way of doing that even if i do end up you know in a position where i'm like attached to a label that is like wanting me to do those things i think having other streams of creativity that are able to put out creativity yeah, in the got moment to be is that just as well yeah it's just really important to me to not be waiting to get permission to make my art you know yeah yeah absolutely like i know somebody that has had this record done for probably nearly four years and the first single just dropped from it 
and I'm just like, I wonder what that person's relationship is with this music now. Like, yeah. are they sick of it? Do they, are they still like extremely stoked that it's finally out in the world and that like gives it new life again? Yeah. But it's uh, it's a strange thing. Well, I hope what people aren't doing is like waiting to keep making art until they re- yeah. re- release stuff, you know? I mean, oftentimes people don't structure their lives so especially if they're not full-time musicians so that they actually have enough space to be doing like multiple things like that at the same time. But to me, that's just like so integral to the, my, my growth as an artist. And the reason that I make art is to, you know, be in my current yeah. state of being yeah. or something, not in my past. Cause sometimes I'm singing about shit that is like, I love these songs, but it's like this topic is actually like about me in four years ago yeah (laughs) so it's like it's not me on that level anymore yeah well that goes back to you know like this instrumental record where like you don't necessarily have to deal with that element of it like if you played these songs three years from now live yeah that's interesting it might be a different experience yeah you you don't have to like tap back into this necessarily this feeling from a vocal perspective at least yeah no totally and and a story perspective even like they they don't need to represent the same thing but that is interesting that it doesn't so yeah uh, that's what i found as a kid playing a lot of like instrumental music is there was it's just the feeling of playing the song that you're kind of going for over the yeah content of like expressing this specific idea or something yeah well, I know then you're you're not like super removed, far removed from these these tunes of like when you actually put them together. Yeah. But like, how differently did it take shape from your initial vision for it? Now that it is like done in this complete piece. I I mean I'm just so pleased with how it came out. I love yeah that, like I was saying that process of having somebody else mix the songs I feel like really gave it life. Then uh, Justin Longerbeam, who uh, also runs the Bathysphere records that it came out on um, with uh, Christina Cano and um, James Sumner, uh, th- he uh, mastered it. And that ga- that's, a, that's a whole other layer of kind of like sheen or something, or just kind of like polish that yeah. um, it gives it. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, just I did what I wanted to do with them and then I was also um, I don't know if you've seen the music video that I shot for it but I was really I had this kind of vision for this um, music video of like I have have a very picturesque backyard in the house that I live at and uh, um, I had this kind of vision of these two like statuesque kind of dancers kind of in this you know like heavenly angels type things kind of dancing and and Grace Euchre and Akela Jaffe uh, agreed to do that dancing and um, Evan Benali Atwood uh, shot the video and we just did it like I just had this idea and it, it was similar to like making a demo or something like we didn't know exactly how we were gonna execute any of that stuff we just for two hours like they danced around the yard while I played a little toy piano and everybody's just so good at what they do that it's just like the vision we had this you know very vague vision and we just got like i got way more amazing footage than i could use in the video and then so then it was just about kind of like picking my favorite moments as i edited the video together to kind of create the story that i wanted to create with it and yeah i'm just really 
pleased with all aspects of how it came out. So yeah. stoked on it. Yeah. I know you, you told me the other day that this is, you know, this record is maybe giving you like the most positive feedback. Yeah. I would say socially it's the most, I mean, you know, press wise, uh, I think because the way Bathysphere is maybe doing stuff like they're, you know, they're not exactly tied to those album cycles in that way. So I think press for them seems to be coming in at kind of various rates. Just from like your peers and peers and randos on the internet too, you know, like just, uh, like the, the YouTube algorithm, I think has been really good to that, uh, nice. uh video. Yeah. So <laughs> there's like somebody saying on there, like, I'm so glad that I came across this, you know, it's a, a great album and stuff. And yeah, I just, uh, feedback in, in ways that, yeah, I haven't really received. What does that do to your psyche about making music moving forward? Like, do you try not to pay attention to that much or are you it's like... It's not enough huh. good feedback that it's like, you know, now I have a music career, so... Yeah, but is it, <laughs> does it sway you in any way to want to like... Repeat. Make more instrumental music? I mean, that's not what I'm, you know, currently working on, but it's... it. I think making the record did that, you know, yeah. I, I now have that as another part of the thing that I do. And honestly, it wasn't like that challenging to create. Like it wasn't really a struggle to write these strong songs, partially, I think, because the way that I tend to write songs with through the podcast is just the knowing that I need to write something and get it done. Um, partially because you're a really fucking good musician (laughs) well and uh, i think the simplicity of the songs too like keeping it simple like that i think really um helped with that uh so yeah it feels that kind of music just i i love making it and i think it has a lot of value to people i I actually think it's a, a growing genre or whatever or just like i think people functionally use music a lot for you know they a lot of people actually don't want words involved in their music because they're doing things that involve words yeah for sure i mean this is like this record can serve many different things for me personally like i can either sit down and listen to it in headphones like really intentfully and just kind of like let it take me somewhere yeah or it's great music to have on while i'm writing emails or something because it's not like something that distracts me in again with like the the lyrics or anything like that yeah i can like get things done get in the flow right exactly yeah Yeah, it can like yeah it can definitely like add to the production of my yeah my workflow instead of like working against it or you know i feel like i've heard that for just anecdotally that uh, maybe it's just people that i know but it, it feels like more people than used to like I don't know if it's Spotify, like the, just the accessibility of music yeah. in that way. Um, like where it's how like people buy beats on YouTube, totally. are like super popular, like yeah. study beats. Right. So yeah, cause people wouldn't, you know, when it was, when you were buying CDs, you just wouldn't have access to that stuff because you didn't buy those CDs or you yeah. didn't buy the classical record or whatever. But now that that stuff is just kind of like available and you can just hit piano chill list on spotify yeah. or whatever the terrifying thing obviously is that that stuff's all becoming ai generated <laughs> so wild yeah so i'm sure there's a computer program that could probably make the album that i just made but <laughs> <laughs> but they can't be me 
That's right. No, there's <laughs> not yet until the ho- until they get holograms. <laughs> definitely some undeniable <laughs> characters, that are not characteristics that I don't think they could have they could have mimicked. Not, not yet. Too much feel. <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> it's too scary. <laughs> this just made me want someone like made me want to uh, hear you like score a movie or something yeah well i would love to do that stuff if anybody's making films out there like, just like uh again like i said when i'm listening when i was listening to this at the times where i like i had the time to like really intentfully listen to it i just like there were so many visuals going on yeah. or i just wanted to like i didn't need any visuals to like further enjoy the experience but i just felt like it was made for that like yeah. it's just impressive to me that you come up with these compositions without any sort of visual and like <laughs> that's where like the arrangement stuff like really mm. like blows my mind and just mm. the compositions and yeah everything that you did with the record is yeah, it's you. just so fucking cool thank you yeah thank i didn't listen to it five times front <laughs> to back because i didn't enjoy it that's for sure <laughs> i would actually say that's the main feedback that people get or say or like the main kind of sentiment is that there is a yeah, cinematic or yeah, visual element to it. Yeah, absolutely. And what about, uh, did this help you understand your ideas around death mm. or reincarnation any differently than you did before? Or just, I don't know, any big takeaways on, on that front of things and your, your continued fascination with, with death and reincarnation fascination is a kind way of putting it uh obsession uh i i because you know i wasn't i kind of more thought of it as like a sci-fi book or something you know i did i wasn't really actually as opposed to the last record that we talked about where there is kind of much more like explicit like processing and feelings of, of like death and stuff like that this felt more like a, like a story, like a, you know, like a, just a, you know, that, that, that initial song is almost like a cartoon or something, you know, it's almost like a Pixar version of like the afterlife <laughs> or something, you know? So it's like that, I think, and starting with that tongue in cheek kind of thing, I think also allowed me to give, build all these different like characters into it. But yeah, I, it's interesting that it, it, I think because I wasn't attached to like initially I did, I was like, I'm going to look up like all these different, like what all these different traditions say about this process, like what people's different ideas about reincarnation. Cause I didn't really know like what, you know, the different, you know, levels of the Bardo are yeah. or whatever, or, or most traditions, I don't really know what they kind of think the process of it is. Um, and pretty early on i was like eh, i'm just gonna make it up like use my imagination and like make whatever story up i want because it's not really i'm not trying to be like ideological like saying that this ha- is what happens like i didn't have no fucking clue what happens when you die um i'm just i think it's death is one of the acknowledging death as part of our process um <clears throat> i think also um helps me to be more present in the moment and acknowledge the the little deaths that happen all the time and um ultimately 
death results in rebirth you know not not necessarily of my personality or whatever yeah. my, my ego those things but um because you know whatever matter just keeps circulating around the universe yeah. like your whatever matter you are you know whatever matter the things around you are, are eventually going to become something else um and uh i think similarly like that's a great metaphor for my experience of you know personal processes relationships you know just like the way I live my life is that like it's it's okay for things to die you know it's okay because it's just part of the process and then the cycle just keeps it doesn't seem to stop you know the things don't seem to just die and oh. are gone forever yeah. there's always something else that emerges the world keeps moving <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know just kind of scary to think about when new, new records come you know? yeah exactly new songs come yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting that it didn't really have i wasn't thinking about death a lot you know yeah. during it on some level yeah i hadn't thought about that <laughs> episode out with uh, rumblings of a dormant anonymous civilization nice. i think that was yeah i think that's gonna be the move here cool yeah that one's that that's definitely one i did on this piano with the, that piano has like that cloth yeah over it okay and it, i did it you know a lot of times when people put like felt on the piano or something to kind of like make that sound they'll get pretty precise with it this i just had like a cloth draped over so there's some notes that kind of like pop out that aren't as kind of muted as the other ones and some that are more muted um well i love the record <laughs> thanks bud gilgul 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 yeah it's available on all the things <laughs> i think i actually have never heard anybody say the word because i think <laughs> it's a pretty esoteric word but. well the links will be in the episode notes so people can <laughs> uh can check it out and again uh can't say enough good things about it and uh i'm honestly just i don't know listening to it today again i was just like i can't believe i know the person that made this like it's just very impressive to me Thanks, Dan. But, yeah i'm Aww. very stoked about it so thank you for uh taking the time to, to chat with me about it and uh if you want you know the full rundown on AOL, you can you know dive more into the, the music backgrounds um you can find our previous episode oh, yeah. from like back in november of 2022 does anybody want to hear me talk anymore after this though <laughs> i did <laughs> Well, I wanted to hear you talk more after the first one, I guess. I don't know about after this. <laughs> um, at least for another year. At least for another year. Until you put it on another record. <laughs> uh, can you give us a It's a Program to oh, properly yeah. sail this thing out? It's a program. It's a all. Saroon. Links are in the episode notes. Uh, thanks for doing the thing. Thanks, Dan. And we're playing out with rumblings of a dormant anonymous civilization. And that's the Jelly Jams. And we'll catch you on the flip side, Portland, or wherever you are listening from.
Hey, just want to give a big shout out to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with DistroKid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. Stay up, stay tuned.